0: So thank you Lord for the word that we've just heard and may we be able to reflect upon it and take it more deeply into our hearts. Thank you and praise your name. There's something really good about going up a mountain. In the biblical understanding, when we go up the mountain, we go to meet the Lord. And there are many mountains in scripture. Mount Tabor, of course, is a very special one. In November, I had the opportunity of going up Mount Tabor. I didn't walk, took a bus. (laughs) (laughs) You get up to a certain landing and then you have to sort of take little jeep-like things, take you up there and you're hanging on to your seat because it's very, very steep uh, to get up the top. And you get the sense that in the day of Jesus, of course, there wasn't these modes of transport. And they had to walk up there. It would have taken them a long time to get to the top. And there, they're simply with Jesus, Peter, James and John. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to be there? They were drawn into the particular intimacy with Christ. His close friends and there on the mountain the veil dropped as it were and he disclosed the beauty the glory the splendor the wonder the magnificence the tremendous goodness of God shining in the face of Christ he was radiant in a way that the gospel writers cannot explain. They try to explain it. They say, oh, whiter than a bleach. That we've never seen it bleaching like this or something like that. They, they can't explain it. Because it's divine light. It's the light of heaven itself hidden to the apostles until now. But now they see They're given the eyes to see. What a wonderful moment. Peter says it's wonderful for us to be here, just overwhelmed with this splendid revelation of the glory of God shining on the face of Christ. And we say, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have been there, to have seen him in this way? But you know, St. Paul says that we have. that experience is available to each one of us. And Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says to them, it's the same God who said, let there be light shining in the darkness who has shone in your hearts to allow you to see the glory shining on the face of Christ. How wonderful it is that we have faith in Jesus. How wonderful it is that God has chosen to reveal to us the Son and the light of Christ to shine in our hearts. For us to be able to, within our inner self, Know Jesus. And to have the inner eye of faith opened up, as it were, sometimes very unexpectedly, at a moment of revelation, a table moment. The apostles didn't know what they were into when they, they they went up that mountain. They thought it was maybe sort of a bit of bushwalking exercise. But then when they get to the top the revelation comes. In our own lives too, dear brothers and sisters, God does choose to give us revelation of who he is. Now many of you here can give testimony to a moment in your life when God touched you, when he opened up to you the beauty and the glory and the majesty of who he is. The reality of Christ. Not just a figment of our imagination. Peter, recalling this event later after the resurrection, writes to the people in the second letter in in the New Testament that he wrote. He says it wasn't any cleverly invented myths that we are passing on to you. It's not as if we made all this up. He says, no, we saw him on the mountain. We saw his glory. And that is what we are testifying to. You see, what happened on the Mount Tabor was already a presage, like a a beginning, a, a sign pointing to the resurrection. And after the resurrection, they remembered Jesus said, Don't tell anyone until he'd risen. And now T- Peter's giving testimony. We saw him on the mountain. We saw his glory. And it changed our lives. My friends, um, these table moments do come, They're, they come by God's initiative and not by anything we can do to make it happen. So I can promise you that God will give you table moments when you will be convinced within yourself of who he is, of the reality of God. Not some sort of imaginative thing, but the reality of Jesus and your heart opens in love and you desire him with all your heart. And he brings you into a moment of intimacy where you know him. Not just someone you've learnt about, not just someone who uh, you've been heard, heard people talk about, but now you've met him. And he takes us deeper in that journey. So I do invite you to seek the face of God. It's your face, O Lord, that I seek. Hide not your face. You know, I go aside into solitude or to a retreat and in that time especially, I find often the Lord will give me a table moment. And you too, I'm sure. If you make the space and and seek the Lord, you will have Tabor moments. Moments of great consolation. Moments of revelation that have come from God. And you'll be convinced. I'm thinking, for example, of a great philosopher named Blaise Pascal In 1654, that's a while ago, isn't it? he'd been seeking God, using all of his philosophical skills to work out who is God and all the attributes of God and, 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 and how can you meet him. So he'd been seeking God for a long time. And then what happened? He had a night of fire, he called it. And he wrote a little note about this, which he only found after his death. It was sewn into his coat because he kept it. It was so precious. And how he described it. Fire, fire, fire. Certitude, certitude, certitude. Joy, joy, joy. Peace, peace, peace. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Not the God of the philosophers and scholars who don't really know him. But the God of Jesus Christ. He had a living encounter with God revealed in Jesus. And it changed his life. We can't make that happen. It's God's breakthrough into our lives, which he chooses to do in his way and at his time if we're open. You know, I'm thinking also of another great thinker in the history of the church, Thomas Aquinas. Many of you know that Thomas Aquinas is a great philosopher using Aristotelian philosophy and he synthesised all the thinking of the church up until his time in the 13th century, put it all down in writing, in what they call the Summa Theologica. Uh, And and we still use that in the church uh, uh, because it's the best expression we've had of the Catholic faith in philosophical terms. Well, towards the end of his life, he was praying before the Blessed Sacrament. And at that moment, he had an experience of God revealing himself in Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. And from that time on, he would not write another word, even though the work was not finished. And his secretary said, why are you not writing anymore? He said, everything I have written is but straw, even though no one has expressed the Catholic faith as well. But you see, he realised he'd met the inexpressible God. He'd met the Lord himself in the revelation that so stunned him and so amazed him and so overwhelmed him at this table moment that he would not write again because he had met the one who he had tried to describe, the indescribable God, the immensity of the Lord, the one who we must bow down before, and the door of all her heart and soul and mind and strength. I'm thinking too of um, a great, uh, another great scholar, Edith Stein, who was a Jewish uh, young woman uh, and a great philosopher in her day. But she sort of lost the Jewish faith. But she was a seeker. And she'd had a hint of the resurrection because she'd seen a widow who was a friend of hers... Was a Christian, deal with suffering, deal with the, the loss of, uh, of, of her husband, and with great faith in Jesus. And that struck Edith deeply. Not enough to convert her. But then one night she had a, an experience where she was in a house by herself, with friends, and there were some books there, and she picked up a book just sort of casually. It was uh, Teresa Raveler's Life. And she read it and it so absorbed her all night she was just taken by this truth that she was reading. As Teresa Ravel just simply speaks about this encounter with Jesus and the immensity of the love that happens in the human heart when you really come to know Jesus. And, And she's so overwhelmed by this that by morning she said, this is the truth! And she went down to the local priest and she said, I'm going to become a Catholic. Uh, He asked her a few questions, and of course she knew the Catholic faith already pretty well, and, and so she didn't have to take long before she became a Catholic. This amazing gift of the revelation of God, you will have table moments, you'll have moments of great consolation, but what I want to say to you next is that while you can be sure that when you're following Jesus, he will take you at times to Mount Tabor and give you the consolation you need and give you the deep experience of his love, maybe here in the context of this 7 p.m. Mass. While all that is assured to you, because God loves you so much, he wins your heart with love and wants to change your heart and transform you into his very likeness, So the transfiguration that you behold, as it were, the glory shining on the face of Jesus, becomes your transfiguration. So you are changed into the very likeness of Jesus. That's his purpose. But what I want to say to you too is that there's another mountain. There's another mountain. And the Mount Tabor experience in the Gospels was a preparation for this second mountain, you notice that when uh, Elijah and, and, and Moses were there talking to Jesus, Moses representing the law and the completion of all of that in the Old Covenant, and Elijah representing the prophets. And, and so they're talking with Jesus, and what are they talking about? They're talking about the passion that Jesus is yet to undergo. You see, the Mount Tabor experience was a preparation for Mount Calvary. Not only for Jesus, but also for the apostles. They had to come down from that wonderfully big mountain and go towards Jerusalem. Immediately in the Gospel accounts after, after Tabor, they head towards Jerusalem, heading towards suffering. You see, life's like that, isn't it? The beautiful consolation of knowing Jesus and of intimately meeting him and being overwhelmed by his love, captured by his kindness and his mercy and his goodness in the light of our sinful selves, is a wonderful thing. And thank God that he has redeemed us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've experienced this but you see, life also has much tragedy. Life also has much struggle. There are times of great testing. People will break their promises to you in life and walk away and leave you shattered. People will speak against you and accuse you of things and persecute you in ways that you could not even have imagined and, and, and concoct stories against you and make you feel that, that you're loathsome in their sight. The cross will come. The journey to Calvary is for each one of us. And so we come down from Mount Tabor to go to Calvary. But we can be assured, because of the Tabor experience, we can be assured that Jesus is with us. You know, I used to always do the Stations of the Cross uh, with the prayers of Alphonsus the Gouri. And one of the things, the refrain in the Stations of the Cross and the journey towards Calvary that uh, Alphonsus had was this prayer, which I feel I can remember it, Oh sweet Jesus, grant to me. Uh, now, O oh, sweet Jesus, out of love for me, you went to Calvary. And so in your mercy, Jesus, grant to me to suffer and to die with thee. And when I was praying in those early days, I used to think that that meant that I had to really want to suffer and want to die, as soon as possible. But really what it meant is that, yes, oh sweet Jesus, grant to me that I would suffer and die with thee. There's an inevitability about suffering and death. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to die. But the question will be, will you suffer and die with Jesus? If you do, then you have hope. You see, we said it in the psalm, didn't we? No. Let the love of God be upon us, and we'll have hope. Let your love be upon me, O God, as I put my hope in you. You see, my hope is in Jesus. No matter what happens, no matter what tragedy, no matter how much my life comes unstuck, no matter what goes wrong in life, and it surely will and for some of you, you're right now in deep pain and suffering. It used to be our hope is in Jesus. And you know, at the end of the table story, there's a line there that I used to always wonder about. You know, when uh, they're afraid at first, and then, that, and then Jesus touches them, and then it says, there was no one else but Jesus. My friends, that's how we're meant to go, with no one else but Jesus. Those words spoke to me today. No one else but Jesus was there for this walk then to Calvary. And I'll go with Jesus to Calvary. I'll hang on the cross with him. In whatever way, in his purpose, he intends to use the Calvary experience for my transformation, to change me into his likeness. I'll hang on that cross with him because I know I'm with him. And there is the hope. I'm not by myself in my suffering. I'm not by myself in my dying. Whenever that moment will come, I was walking today thinking, oh, it could come soon. You never know. But whenever that moment is to come, I will die with him. You see, Jesus gives us the table experiences, the baptism in the spirit experience, if you like. He gives it to us so that when the suffering comes, we won't come totally unstuck, we won't give up hope, We won't fall in a heap. We won't be so shattered that we can't go on. But we'll find hope in our hearts because he is with us. His strength is there to carry me through. You see, our faith involves a lot of light. That's the Tabor experience. A lot of light and revelation. A lot of consolation. Oh, praise God for the light and revelation of the consolation. But we can't cling to that thinking it's always going to be experienced that way because we must go from Tabor to Calvary. We must enter into the depth of the suffering with Jesus where he experienced desolation, not consolation. It was a time of great testing the time when all he could do was cling to the Father's promise. And the apostles were invited into that too. They didn't go through the testing very well, which gives us, I guess, a bit of consolation. But the, the testing time comes to each one of us in our lives. And when we have known the consolation, when we've known the Tabor experience, as I have known, and I thank God that I have known that. If you have not yet known that, open your heart and cry out to God. Seek his face. He loves you. He wants to bring you into closeness and intimacy with him. It's because I have known that that then I can set my face like flint with Jesus towards Jerusalem. I can go to Mount Calvary. Because I know that Calvary is not the end. I've already experienced the Tabor And so I know that that's the sign and the promise of the resurrection. I go through the cross, whatever it may be in my life, with hope in my heart, knowing I'll ultimately be vindicated, knowing I'll ultimately be raised up with Jesus. And praise God that he does not desert us in our moment of greatest struggle and trial and difficulty. That's what he wanted to imprint upon the apostles' hearts. That he'll be with them through that time of suffering and death itself. And there'll be an experience of resurrection. There's the hope. Jesus himself. Yes, let's go forward, my folks, with only Jesus. And Jesus is enough. He is more than enough. And bless his name.